because I have like 13 pages of notes today, um, I want to jump right into it. Actually, I don't have 13. I have seven. But um, let's just jump right into the word. I want to read the passage today. We're in Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 42 to 47. It should be on the screen for you guys. But if you have your Bibles, you can open up there. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. This is what it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray real quick. Father, we just thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you that we have this freedom and opportunity to come and gather together to listen to your word, to worship in song and praise. And Father, as we listen to your word today, we ask that your spirit would minister to our hearts and that you would draw us nearer to you, that you would allow us, Lord, to be the light in this dark, dark world. So Lord, we thank you so much. We ask that you would speak powerfully through me. Let your word become the truth for our lives. So we thank you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. So glad to uh, have this opportunity to share with you guys. Um, as, as most of you guys know, last week we wrapped up our series in uh, the letter to the Philippians. And we've been talking about joy and the, the series title was The Key to Abiding Joy. And so I thought, hey, why not one more week of talking about joy? It can't hurt. And so um, that's what we're going to talk about today. But I want to tie in our joy specifically with our devotion to Jesus. And, and that's what I want to kind of be our focal point for today. So, uh, I want to give you guys a little bit of context before we get into it. Um, the verse that we just read, or the passage that we just read, is something that's happening right after uh, Peter preaches this amazing sermon. And so, if you guys go all the way back to Acts chapter 1, we see that Jesus, before he ascends, he gathers his disciples and he says, Hey, I want you guys to go to Jerusalem, and I want you guys to go and wait. And you guys are going to wait for the Holy Spirit. And so that's kind of his, his last thing. And he says, as you guys wait for the Holy Spirit, it's going to fill you guys. It's going to empower you so that you guys can be witnesses to all of Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And Samaria, right? And so Jesus goes into heaven. It's this miraculous thing. And then the disciples go, along with these other Christians. They're in the upper room. And then the Holy Spirit comes. And it was like this wind and this fire that came. And they were filled. And they start to speak in different tongues. And they go outside and it's still early morning. And so people start to gather because they start to hear their, their, the language that's their mother tongue. Like, man, there's so many different languages being spoken. But some of the people, they said, oh, these people must be drunk. And Peter starts to defend them, and he says, no, it's way too early for them to be drunk. And this is what's happening. He says, and he uses that opportunity to begin to preach about Jesus that was crucified. And as he preaches this sermon about Jesus and the gospel, the Bible tells us that the people that were there listening, they were cut to the heart. In other words, they were convicted 
As the gospel was proclaimed, their hearts were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. The truth was penetrating into their lives. And this is the amazing thing. It tells us that 3,000 souls were added that day. Wow. I don't know if you guys have ever been to a concert before. The last concert that I went to was sometime in 2000, and it was a U2 concert at the Staples Center. 16 to 20,000 people. We, we had the cheapest seats. We were all the way in the back. The wall was right behind me. And I'm not a big concert goer, but I went there, and it was just electrifying. So I can't imagine if 3,000 people were saved after a sermon, I'd be having goosebumps. And so that's the miraculous thing that happened that day. The Spirit of God moved in the people's hearts, those that were listening to the Word of God preached. And then they said, man, we need to do something. And that's where we come to the portion of uh, our text today. And there's a word that I want to focus on this morning, and it's the word devotion. Devotion. What comes to mind when we hear this word devotion? I want you guys to think about that. Maybe for some of us, it's our careers. Man, I'm devoted to my career. This is what I love. This is, this is what I enjoy. I am devoted to my career. Maybe for some of us, it's our families. I love my wife, or I love my husband and my children. I will do anything for them. I am so devoted to them. Maybe for others, it's just something very simple. It's our workout regimen. I know Pastor Matt and Eric, they've been running on Wednesdays. Last week, I saw them running in the rain. I said, why? <laughs> I, I probably live super close, and I'm riding around in my scooter, and they're, they're running more miles than I put on my scooter. So maybe it's devotion for some. But when we bring up this word devotion, for many of us, it may be different things. Maybe for some of us, it's been a while since we've even thought of this devotion. Or since we've used this word devotion. It's been a long while. But the reason why I want to bring this up is because I believe that in our churches all across our nation, we are at war with this very thing. It's this understanding of devotion to Christ. We're at war with it because many people believe what devotion to Christ is to be this thing when in actuality it's this thing, which needs to come from the Word. For many people, especially many young people, but not limited to them only, we find ourselves... Connecting our devotion to Jesus with an overwhelming amount of feelings or excitement. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But when our devotion is all about feelings, it can become very dangerous. The reason why it's dangerous is because it will lead us to be only devoted to Jesus when we feel something. So imagine with me, if your idea of devotion has this strong tie with feelings, then that means that every single time that you're at a church service, if your feelings aren't working, then you feel like, oh, it's not, Jesus isn't here. God's not in this place. It's almost as if we have allowed the value of our devotion to Jesus be determined by how exciting a church service is or how entertaining a sermon is. And the fact that we equate our faith around a church service is problematic. You see, this is the issue. We are living in a generation where entertainment and ease are at the forefront of how we de determine its value and how much devotion it should receive. The reason why I believe this is true is because 
Many of us, we don't hesitate to gather to hang out with friends where it's always a good time, right? Because it's easy and it's fun. There's some kind of entertainment value that we are getting out of it. There's never an awkwardness. It's just very, very easy. But here's the reality to devotion. Devotion to anything requires a continual sacrifice and an investment of our time. I think this is a statement that most, if not all of us, can agree with in regards to devotion. It requires a continual sacrifice and an investment of our time. You see, when we establish that something is worth devoting our lives to, that's what we do. We continually invest our time. We continually pour out our energy. Even when difficult times come, we continue to push through it because we know it's well worth it. It's well worth pursuing. But as we all know, if we've lived life to a certain degree, we all know that with devotion comes a lot of boringness. A lot of this just everyday routine of nothing special really happening. And the reason why I brought up young people earlier is because young people are always looking for something to be pushing it to the next level. It needs to be more exciting. I think that's why alcoholism and drug use is is popular because they're wanting to feel something more. But devotion is not always attractive. It's actually a lot of times very unattractive. Devotion isn't always glamorous. But We live in a day and age where we struggle with devotion because we live in a culture where we're taught to seek after entertainment and things that are easy and fun. And it's a problem because it happens in our faith as well. And it translates even over into the church. The Greek word that's used for devotion is seen in two places in our passage today. So if you guys are reading through it, the first place is very obvious. It uses the word devotion. It's in verse 42. And the second place that we see it is in verse 46, and it's translated in the ESV as attending, attending. So that's what I want to focus on today, this word devotion. I want to share with you guys what comes to mind when I think of the word devotion, and I'll take you guys back two years, when our family had just moved to the island, I thought, man, this is such a beautiful place. Everybody goes to the beach. You know, they're you know, half naked and they're showing off their amazing bodies. It's like, all right, that's my opportunity. Time to get in shape. As you guys know, two years later, uh, nothing has changed. It's actually probably gotten worse. But there was, a, there was a Groupon. And so my wife and I, we decided, hey, there's this two-week thing at this place called Egan's Boot Camp. And so we signed up. It was walking distance from the place that we were living. And we went there. And the first week, it was just horrendous. Like, my wife and I, we were sore every day. We we're like, oh, my gosh. Like, why do we? We're paying people to make us feel very uncomfortable. And so one of the days I went, because my wife was like, man, I just, I'm just too sore. I can't go. I was like, honey, you got to go. We're wasting our money. We got to go. She's like, no, just go without me. I was like, okay, I got to go. So I get to my class. And for those of you guys who don't know, this is not an advertisement for them. They're not paying me. But I really believe in what they're doing. It's called HIT, high-intensity interval training. So it's 30 minutes of exercise but you're doing it in spurts of high intensity, and then you rest for like 10 seconds, and then you do it again, and it's for this 30-minute span. And so I get there, and we're doing these exercises. So they start off with like just doing air squats. So you're like this, and then you squat down, and you do that, and it's for like a minute straight. 
And so in the beginning, I'm like, I could do this. Oh, I'm still sore, but I could do this. And you, you start to feel this lactic acid buildup, and it starts to get, it starts to hurt. And then by the time we're like 10 minutes in, and this is just after, right after like the warm-up, I'm like, oh, when is this over? And we start to do burpees. So you get down on the ground, you do a push-up, and you get up, and then you have to jump, and you're continually doing that. I'm starting to think, man, why did I come? I should have just stayed home. And as I'm dreading this exercise, I see in the front, and we can see who's in front because the instructor's there, but there's a mirror all across the wall, and you can see the other participants' faces. And there's this lady, mid-50s at least. She's just smiling. She's like, And I'm like, oh. And she was like that the entire 30 minutes, nonstop. I, I kid you not. By the end of the 30 minutes, I was done. I was like wiping my sweat off and I was getting ready to go. And I realized like, she's like unfazed. She was filled with joy as she was paying someone to make her feel pain. And she didn't actually leave after that one class. She actually ended up staying for another class because that was her warm-up. And I bet you she probably stayed for a couple more classes after that. And so I went home that day, and I started to think, why am I so out of shape? Okay, I already knew that. But I started to think, why was it that this lady was so filled with joy as she was working out? She wasn't dreading it like I was. She was clearly enjoying it. So I thought to myself, there must be a fundamental difference between her and I. She values her health and her well-being far more than I do. She knows that the, the pain that she's going to go through is worth it. And so I would even assume that it's not just her workout routines that are influencing her life, but even the food choices that she makes. She's very mindful and intentional about the things that she's putting into her body. There was a clear difference because my goal of going to that Boot camp was so that I could lose a couple of pounds and maybe use that as this, you know, catalyst to a beach body. But that was clearly not happening. But for this lady, her devotion was very clear. It wasn't just that day but it was the entirety of her life that was devoted to exercise, eating right, and taking care of herself. But the reason why I share this story is because I think we need to ask ourselves this very important question. If this lady is able to be devoted and be filled with joy as she's being devoted to this health and well-being of her life, what does our devotion to Jesus look like? I can guarantee you she was looking forward to, to working out that day. As opposed to me, I was dreading it. I was dragging my feet I was, as I was walking there. Her perspective and her mindset was far different. Let me ask you guys a question. As you are coming to church this morning, whether you're in person or online, what were you feeling? What was the mindset that you had? Were you like, man, thank you, God. I get to gather with my church family. I get to worship God. I get to sing songs of praise. I get to listen to the, to the message, the word of God being proclaimed. Was that something that was in our mind and in our hearts? Or was it more of, oh man, i got to hurry up and just get this checklist off of my spiritual checklist done? 
What does our devotion to Jesus look like? Why is it that we are so easily devoted to things outside the body of Christ? And why is it that we struggle to be devoted to the study of God's word? To the gathering and the fellowship of believers? Why is it that we're struggling to be devoted to prayers for one another and with each other? Why is it that we spend more time investing in the things that have very little to no eternal value rather than investing in the souls that have an eternal consequence if they don't know who Jesus is? I know sports has started up again. And this is nothing against sports. I don't watch sports, so I don't fully understand. But many of us will gather in a home together, and we will shout louder than we've ever shouted in our homes than we've ever done in our lives for God. We get more excited about the things of this world than we do about the things of God. Why is it easiest, easier for us to gather with friends to just talk about on-the-surface things? And why is it so difficult for us to gather with people of the same spiritual family to talk about deep, meaningful things, listening to each other's problems or difficulties, encouraging one another, praying for each other, studying God's Word together. We may not be able to see it as we look around this room, but there are people in here that are lonely and hurting, although they're surrounded by people. So as I looked at this lady and I started to think about my life and my faith, God convicted me. And he said, if this lady is able to do this for something like her health, why aren't you able to do it for the God that you say that you love? This Jesus that died for your sins and brought you new life. Is there a joy that shows in our life, in our devotion to Christ? Can the world see it? And I hope that you don't misunderstand what I'm saying when I talk about joy. I'm not talking about a happiness. You know, Pastor Matt did an excellent job talking about what true joy in Christ is. So if you don't understand what that joy is, I, I really encourage you, go back onto YouTube and listen to the messages again. Our joy from Christ comes even in the storm, even in the, the difficulty of life. See, what we come upon today is that after Peter preaches his sermon, these 3,000 people were added into the family of God. They were new believers. And they started to do these things that we read about in verses 42 to 47. And so I want us to pause here for a second, and I want us to really ask ourselves this question as we examine our lives. And the question is this, is our devotion... Rooted in the very truth of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. I think the reason why we have a devotion problem is because we don't understand what proper devotion is. Maybe for some of us who think about what, what this church used to be like long ago, maybe that's not the issue that church isn't like what it used to be. But maybe the issue is an understanding of what our devotion to Christ looks like. 
in our hearts, in our lives. Maybe it's not the programs that we're offering or not offering at this church. Maybe it's not even the type of music that's being played on Sunday mornings. Maybe our devotion problem is rooted in the fact that we don't really know who Jesus is. Maybe we don't know and understand what he's done for us. Has the weight of Jesus Christ transformed our hearts and our minds? I really want us to wrestle with that. As I mentioned earlier in the context, Peter preaches a sermon, and he's pretty much telling them, hey, this Jesus that you crucified, even though many of them were probably not there because they were celebrating Pentecost, and so many people were traveling to Jerusalem, so they weren't there. But Peter tells them, you guys are the ones who crucified Jesus. So many of them probably took offense to it and say, what? We didn't crucify Jesus. We weren't even there. But as he begins to talk about how Jesus is God and that he came to die for our sins on the cross, and as he begins to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, these people, as they, the Spirit of God is ministering to their hearts, they realize, man, we need to do something. There needs to be a response from us. So they ask Peter and the apostles, what should we do? They, and he tells them, repent. Be baptized. Believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. You see, what happened in that moment was that these people who are far from God came to realize their need for Jesus. They recognized their sinfulness and that they couldn't be washed clean of their sin unless they believed in Jesus. And then they said, okay, We recognize that. We recognize what Jesus did on the cross. And they came to believe. This is the very truth that transformed those 3,000 people's lives. And this is the very truth that still remains true today. This is the truth that needs to transform our lives. The way that we think, the way that we speak, the way that we act. That's my intro. Let me get into the message for today, okay? The reason why I wanted to start with that is because even if I talk about all of these things, they'll just become these things that we think in our minds, okay, this is what I need to do to be a Christian. But let's be honest. These things are not going to happen unless we really know who Christ is. So the first thing is this. When we want to see devotion to Jesus in our lives, the first thing is this. Devotion requires a time investment. Many of us know that we will not become proficient at something if we don't invest time in it. Sam here has been playing for the past couple of weeks. He's a piano major, excellent piano player. And we can all know just by hearing him play That it's not just overnight that he became like that. So we understand this principle, but why is it that when it comes to our faith, we think, oh, if I just pray, then God's just going to miraculously do something and he's going to grow my knowledge of him. And then I'm just becoming this amazing Christian. No, that's not the reality. We have to spend time, invest time in reading the Word, studying the Word, learning the context of the Word so that we don't misinterpret it and make it say something that it was never intended to say. We need to invest time with one another. How can we grow in relationship if we never spend time with each other? Acts 2.42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. In verse 46, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. The first thing that I notice here is that they ate. And that's an important thing. 
okay? Maybe some of you guys didn't see that importance of the eating, but it is important. But these two passages tell us that the Christians, these new believers, they devoted themselves to what needs to be the, the, the basics of our faith, the foundations of our faith. This isn't something for people that have only been a Christian for so many years. But these are for brand new believers. Are we investing in the study of God's word? Are we investing in the fellowship of the believers? Even in sharing meals together, are we investing in praying for each other and with each other? Because what we see here is that the first church They were investing in all of these things. It was an integral part of the Christian life. I know many of us, we're financially savvy. We know that when we look at the stock market, there are certain companies that we research and we figure out, you know, which company, if I invest in, is going to yield the most return for me. And we're good at those things. And we know that 10 years from now, 15 years from now, you know, the little money that we invested is going to become much larger. Let me tell you, that same principle applies in our faith. But the other question is this, are we investing in each other? Are we investing in the new believer We all know who Billy Graham is, right? How, how many of us know the name Mordecai Ham? Nobody? One person. Two people. Mordecai Ham was the Sunday school teacher of Billy Graham. He invested in him. Did he know that Billy Graham would become this great evangelist? Probably not. There is no greater investment in this life than to invest in another soul as we teach the Word of God, as we live out the Word of God. And here's the reality. We may never see that return while we're on this earth. But when we get to heaven, we're going to know it was worth it. That's the reason why I love hanging out with young people and I love having conversations with them and building relationships with them because I know that they need God just as much as anyone else, no matter how old they are. But let's be honest, a lot of times when we're young, people dismiss us because we're young. We don't know much. They're not interested in what we know or what we think. So I, I want to challenge you guys. If you want to know what your teenage nephew or son or whatever, just sit down with them and just ask them questions. Don't try to teach them anything. Build that relationship first. And once you have that, then you can start to teach them, and they're going to just, just soak it all up. I know that right now we're in a very unique time in our history with this pandemic. And so a lot of things that we used to do, we're not able to do. But one thing that the pandemic has revealed in a lot of us is that it's so easy for us to disconnect, to unplug from the rest of the body. It's dangerous. Because God never called us to live our lives as monks in a monastery, living up in the mountains just by ourselves. He's called us to be among the world, in the world, but not of the world. We need to be the light so that we can shine in darkness. And let me tell you, even within the church, there are a lot of people that need that light. Are we devoted to the gospel of Jesus Christ where we are investing our time in the word, in prayer, in fellowship, in one another? The second thing that needs to happen is this. We need to be devoted to a community of faith because devotion matures in a community of faith. For those of us who are married, we'll understand this a little bit more. 
But when I got married, I thought, man, I have an amazing personality. I'm so easygoing. The person that marries me is going to be blessed. And my wife is in the back. She'll tell you. Yeah, right. But that's the reality. When we, when we come together with another person, we, as, you know, Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron. Like, we, we're growing together. And if you're always by yourself, if you're this lone ranger Christian, I guarantee you, you cannot mature to the place of a person who's been in a community where people keep you accountable Our faith cannot mature fully when we live our lives in solitude. For those of us who are joining online, maybe you really enjoy being online. And maybe some of you that are online, like, you know that you could come in person, but the reason why you don't come in person is not because of COVID. It's because you don't want to see certain people in the church. Let's just be real. But we have to know, you know, that reconciliation, that's a part of the gospel at at work in our lives. We need to rub shoulders because we all have an area of growth that is needed in our lives. But that's not going to come about until we start to rub shoulders. You know, my dad, he's not a believer, but I remember growing up, we used to always go to church. And somehow, some way, he became this ordained deacon. I'm like, man, how did that happen? Shame on that church. Because he clearly didn't know who Jesus was. But he was up there leading prayers, and I'm like, what is going on? But one thing that I realized, once he came to his senses, he's like, no, you know what, I'm done with church. He told me the reason why he doesn't want to go to church anymore is because when I go to church... I just see a bunch of hypocrites. Because for him, in his understanding of what the church is supposed to be, is it's supposed to be a bunch of people that are perfect, that have already arrived. Maybe for some of us, that's our understanding. When we come to church, we want to be taken care of. And that's it. I don't have to do anything. People are just going to take care of me. That's the understanding my, that my dad had. And so when I told him, no, dad, and, and he went to the extent to say this, I believe in God, son. It's just I don't want to go to church. So I told my dad, I said, dad, if, if that were the plan of God, then Jesus would never establish the church. He would not be the head of the church. You see, the reality is this, that God has created the church for us so that we can grow and mature, so that we could display the love of Christ in our lives with one another. If we can't do that towards each other who are believers, how are we going to do that in this world? A world that hates us, the world that persecutes us. This is what we saw happening in the early church. In verse 43, it tells us, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had needs. I'm not going to go into depth about the wonders and signs that, that they talk about in this verse today. But one of the biggest miraculous signs that I've experienced and encountered in my life is the very fact that when someone who is far from God comes to recognize their need for a Savior, humbles themselves and says, I want to make Jesus Christ my Lord. That's a miracle. That's an amazing sign of God at work. In someone who used to be an enemy of God. 3,000 people. There's no way that all of these 3,000 people knew each other. If you guys have been to a mega church before, 
They don't know, all know each other. They might see each other's faces and be, oh, yeah, I think I know this person. But these 3,000 people, as they were saved, they started to gather together. They started to experience God at work in each other's lives. They were doing life together. I really found this quote interesting from Tim Keller. He says this, Everyone says they want community and deep friendship. However, because it takes accountability and commitment, we run the other way. Isn't that so true? A lot of us, we long to belong and we long to be a part and we want to have this community and accountability. But then once we realize what's required of it, that it's not easy, we run the other way. So it makes me ask the question again, what does our devotion to Jesus look like? Don't get me wrong. I know that it's hard to open up to people. And let me tell you, the reason why we struggle with opening up to people is because we don't trust them. For many of us, it's probably easier for us to tell a deep, dark secret to a complete stranger that we know that we have no connection to, that we'll probably never see ever again, than it is to someone that we've known for many, many years on a surface level. But what if that started to change? What if Wailai Baptist Church became a church that was being devoted to God's Word, being devoted to one another in fellowship, where we were building relationships, where we trusted one another, where we know that we could come together in a prayer meeting and share things that we aren't able to share with our coworkers, the struggles that we're having as men with pornography, the struggles that we struggle with in our life that we want to share, but we don't know how to share, and it's hard for us to share because we don't trust. I believe that God wants to build a deeper community within this church. But it requires our cooperation. It requires us to humble ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. I want to make this very clear. I'm not just pointing out things that I feel like our church needs to do better. No, we're doing a lot of things well. As Pastor Matt already mentioned, in this pandemic year, we're, we're ahead financially giving. And many of you have given above and beyond for, for causes and people that are in need. And so I don't want you guys to feel like, man, are we not doing anything right? No, we're doing a lot of things right. But how can we push ourselves higher? How can we become more Christ-like? I believe that it has to do with our devotion. The last thing that I want to talk about is devotion leads to being a witness of Christ. In verse 46, it says that they were in the temples every day, attending with other people. And, and they were breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And it says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What I see in this passage is that after these 3,000 people got saved, they still continued to go to the temple because the temple was a place that everyone would still congregate. So these new believers would go to the place that they were familiar with, with other people that didn't know who Jesus was, and they were living and sharing their lives with them. They would go and meet someone and say, hey, you want to come over? They were hospitable. They were generous. They started to build relationships. And it says that they had favor with all people. 
I don't know how many of us have shared our faith in this past year. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But I want us to think about that. Maybe we're not explicitly sharing, and that's fine. Maybe we're working on a relationship with someone so that one of these days in the, in the, in the workroom we can say, Hey, what is your, do you believe in anything? And that's fine. At least we're doing something. But my challenge to us today is this. Are we sharing our faith? Are we hiding our faith? These people went to the temple day by day. New believers. And they were living out what Christ had done in their lives. That's why I believe that devotion is so important. Going back to that lady at Egan's boot camp, you know that you didn't have to talk to her about working out. She probably would just bring it up. Maybe as she's walking down the street and someone says, Miss, you're extremely in shape. What gym do you go to? And she can start talking about, you know, all the stuff that she does and the food that she eats. Maybe for some of us, if we are being trans transformed by, by Christ in our lives, then our lives outwardly will begin to show it and people will start to ask us, hey, why, why are you always so filled with joy? Why is it that you just got chewed out by the boss, but you're just like so positive and, and you're not discouraged, but you, you want to you know, continue to be better? Our devotion to Jesus to lead, should lead us to be a witness in our workplace, to our physical neighbors, and even within the church. Because there are people like my dad who have been attending church for a long time. And if they encounter someone, or even better, many people who are Christ-like in the church, it's very possible that he would still be attending church today. I want us to kind of have this imagery of, you know, the, the call that has been put upon our lives as Christians. And, and this proper understanding that being a witness of Christ, it, it should be a normal part of our lives. Okay, I want you guys to imagine with me, okay, let's say on the west side of Oahu, there's, there's an empty piece of land, and then this very well-known developer comes in and he says, hey, I'm going to build this beautiful housing community there. It's going to be affordable, it's going to be more than your money can buy. And so it takes a couple of years, they, they develop it, and there are these beautiful houses. The streets are all nice. It just looks nothing like any community that you've ever seen in Hawaii. And then it just stays like that. They never offer it up for sale. No families ever move in. No elderly family, couples ever move in. Those houses are never inhabited. They're just there. They look beautiful. Five bedrooms, three bathrooms, three-car garage. It looks like Texas when you go there. But no one ever lives in those homes. Every time you're driving down H1, you're like, man, what a waste. What a waste of, of developing that land. It would have been better if they never developed it and if it was just the beautiful mountainscape that it was before. See, our lives were never meant to just be this beautiful thing on the outside with no Jesus inhabiting us. We have a purpose in our lives, just like a housing community has a purpose so that it could be sold and that families can inhabit them so that there could be life in them. 
If we're not going out into this world and being a witness of who Jesus is and what he's done in our life, then I think that we're missing out on the purpose of why Jesus came to us. Why Jesus came to this world. I want to wrap it up with this. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, Authentic Christianity, he writes this. He says, True Christianity is charged with life and power and abandon because it is the action of God. It is the work of the Holy Spirit of God sent into the church in order to bring about God's purposes in the world. Do we believe that's true for our lives? Do we see God at work in our lives so that his purposes are being brought about in this world? Devotion is the very lifeblood of the saints who have passed before us. And it's not special to them. It needs to be a norm for every believer. And this is my prayer. My prayer is that we would come to know the person and the work of Jesus Christ so that we would live a life of joyful devotion to him. A joyful devotion that leads us to study God's word. A joyful devotion that leads us to a deep fellowship with the body of Christ. A joyful devotion that leads us to be witnesses of Christ to this world. A joyful devotion that leads us to investing in others in the kingdom of God. A joyful devotion that leads us to a maturing faith. Let's pray.